Hello, and welcome to Seize the GM. If you're looking to get started GMing, we're here to help. And if you're a GM with a few levels under your experience belt, we are here to help you find your prestige class. Let us take you through some common questions, concerns, and the fun challenges that every GM will face. We have our ideas, our opinions, and some might even say answers that we want to share. So pull up a chair, dust off your dice, and let us help you seize the GM. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Seize the GM. Indeed, it's good to hear from you, or more to the point, it's good for you to hear from us no matter what Zen might sound like today. Right? I don't know, it was weird. It's all Zen's fault. All his fault. It usually is. Indeed. If they've listened to this long, they likely know that when in doubt, we blame Zen. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of how things go. But I'm cool with that. Because what are we doing today? Hey. Trying to take over the world? No. We do that every other night. Oh, you're right there, Brain. Instead, what we're going to do is. We're going to do part three of Let's Build a Campaign. To catch you up, if you are just stepping into this episode, or if you had to take a bit of a break and delete a couple of gigabytes of pictures to make sure you could download this episode, here's your reminder. We're spending several episodes building a campaign. Themes, recurring settings, and today we're going to get to some of the main beats or kind of set pieces of that campaign. We opted for a sci-fi series or setting, a little more, uh, a little closer to the Expanse or Dark Matter than Star Trek or Buck Rogers, and we kind of uh, put together some some locations. Last episode, one seventeen. Click back, listen. We will pause and wait for you to catch up. And they're caught up. That now we're going to kind of populate with a couple of beats for the campaign. Uh, what are these? Well, I like to think of them kind of like turning points for parts of the campaign's arcs. Um, in a movie, you've got you know the run-ins with the bosses. You've got uh, TV shows, kind of mid-season finales or, or kind of big points, um, pivotal moments that can you know really change what's going on or, or be influenced through the characters. Uh, how do you guys think about these these beats we're talking about tonight? Well, they're for me, they're the high points. It, all right, if you think about a movie, all right, and and I'm going to use Star Wars because there's an actual graphic for this, and I am not kidding. But if you yep, think about I some of the real done it before, yeah. If you think about yeah, if you think about it, you've got some of the, like the real high points of you know like that are super duper memorable, and they kind of kick the kick your plot either forward or to the side or something like that it it's they're all kind of pivotal moments if you think of star wars you've got like the destruction of alderaan and uh then you get like the the death of obi-wan use the force that kind of stuff and those are like the big kind of memorable events slash i would say um like turning points like memorable bits You know, and there, and the thing is, like, it doesn't mean like the other stuff that happens in there, you know, like, 
uh, you know, getting on the Millennium Falcon or Luke training and learning about the Force doesn't mean like they're not important, but they're not. Um, they're they're not, not pivotal. Uh, yeah, they're 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 more they're, they're more character development background, uh, more understanding. It, it kind of broadens the world, broadens the characters, uh, gives depth, insight. But they're not the you know the excitement things. Or if you think about it, like areas and tension and release cycle for horror, you know, kind of like the big spook bits. Those yeah, are the right? kind of things that that kind of give you insight in that one flash. And then during the calm time, you get to reflect on it. But during the reflection, you're starting to build up again. That tension build. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of that, that's kind of how I've always looked at story beats is like you you have that tension that builds to this crescendo that occurs at these major beats. And when those major beats are done, you kind of have that, that falling off. Now it's not all the way down because then that would just be, you know, the climax story beats and like these major beats are not actually the climax of what you're shooting for. They're kind of like the building ramp to that point, whatever that point is. Mm -hmm. When you look and, at the structure, it's not, all one all the way up to the climax and then Dana Martin down. You right. Jagged footholds that build. Yeah, you have these spikes and those spike points are where your major story beats occur. Mm -hmm. And the thing is that when you're when you're thinking about it is that you do the one thing that makes a story beat a story beat is that it's framed by less intensity, less um you know, less freneticism, you know, it's, 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 it's the breather. So your players can kind of just like get into, you know, get into, okay, we reflected on a, the, it's the cool adventure. Like anyone that's ever played a tabletop game and might be familiar with the idea of what they call war storying, where you describe some of the most crazy ass nutso things that you have done. That's a story beat that you're describing. Yeah. and. The thing is, though, that those are super memorable. But the thing is, you also have to remember you got to get there. So it's it's important to just build them up. Bringing them out of the blue might work if it fits and is more like a horror. But the thing is, there there does have to be kind of a logical progression, right? Just an FYI. But if you really if you're trying to get your mind around it, it's like if you've ever had your friends sitting around a table and telling about the most crazy crap they've ever pulled at a table. Listen to what they're talking about. These are these are probably some of the story beats that they're describing. Yeah. And yeah. I, I like for them to relate to the themes. And so I think all three of us each, you know, kind of have two beats to discuss that play into one of the two themes, or maybe both, that we talked about in episode 116. Go back, re-listen, get caught up, make sure you know where we are. All right, good. And so I, I guess the best thing to do is maybe talk a little bit about the beats and trade off uh, between the three of us as we kind of work through our ideas of things we would build towards in the campaign. And so this isn't, you know, the, the way to railroad players. This is a uh, here's something that's going to happen and how they resolve it and how they get there aren't necessarily set. So now. There is something else to be said for this. Now, this is kind of a, a strange point is sometimes you can have a story beat 
that goes off whether or not the players are actually involved in it. Because if they choose to just stay away from it, it can happen however you decide. The, so keep the, that in mind. You know, actions do have consequences, even when you're playing make-believe. But Yeah, because inaction still is a consequence. Mm-hmm. You choose not to act. It's still so, a choice in there. So, so th- keep all of that in mind while we're going through these. These are somewhat more interactive than they are just... This is going to happen regardless of what you've done. Because I've played in games where we were just like, I don't know what to do. We shouldn't be doing any of these things. And yet it still happens. Some things still happened. And it's usually never good. So keep that in mind. <laughs> so, uh, Gardemoje, what do you have for your first one? What's in the basement? playing on the search for truth and uh, trying to uncover information that is locked away in, in one of the Smithsonian's more protected data stores, there's a moment of truth the characters have to navigate. First, there is the information that is whatever is being sought, however it ties into the rest of the stories. But this is, for me, a major combat set piece. Whatever forces have arrayed themselves against the interests of the characters, uh, they're racing to stop them from accessing it, from using this information. And so after a slow burn of several sessions, this culminates in a session-long encounter where they have to extricate themselves with some amount of the information they need from one of the Smithsonian's data stores while being chased and fought by either rivals already populated or maybe nameless, faceless librarian shock troopers. Hmm. I, I'm going. I, the thing is, if anyone out there wants to draw a librarian shock trooper, I actually have friends that are librarians. You know, they have like the master's degree to be librarians, and I think they'd fall on their butts laughing. Uh huh. Most likely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> be, be afraid of them. Be very afraid of them. Well, but, of course. Zen. We'll just go down the go down the rolls this way. Okay. You go next, since I see you next on the list. All right. Who is the power? I mean, it kind of says it's, you know, it's got its own little thing. But uh, so, sure, the, the Senate is a diplomatic, uh, democratic force. But are they really the power? Or... Are they just kind of a puppet front for the multi-planetary conglomerates? Maybe not even that small. What if the uh, Elpis coming back was a larger play on the galactic scale? Now, how deep do you go to find the truth? The leader of the Senate has his hands in planetary control and development. But this is this is really just small potatoes when you are the pawn of an invading galactic empire. Dun dun dun. I don't know. I, I don't know where the end of end that one because it sounded like ooh, I like it. Well, yeah, because you can go anywhere. I mm-hmm. mean, really, who is the power? That's kind of plays to its point of you know who actually does control. Mm-hmm. Because when you're dealing in politics, specifically 
the the Senate, are they really the end all be all power, or are they like present day governments that are controlled by other things and other forces outside of themselves? So think about it like that. Mm-hmm. So Jules, what have you got? All right. Well, going into more of the search for truth, I'm like, there's two truths. So the lies are beginning to unravel and the parties come across a lead that's finally going to shine some light and, you know, give some, some insight. So they arrive at this archive or, or maybe the Smithsonian basement or any other place where just data uh, resides and they come across raw evidence. And depending on each member's discipline and strength and worldview, the evidence can be di- interpreted in directly oppositional ways. There's no right or wrong. There's only data. So what are they going to do with that? Are they going to spin it? Is there going to be a party split? Are they going to release the data in raw form and let the world know, you know, let the universe know? And it's like, all right, do what you want with it. Are they going to destroy it? Because, wow, if this comes to light, you know, galactic war can happen. And they have to, they have to, with their decision, kind of consider the impact of what's going what's going to happen depending on what they decide and what is the fallout and they, are they willing to deal with it and that's the one thing cuz data is data is just what it is it's like it is 32 degrees yeah. you know and, and it's there's a joke is like um it is a d4 is like is a d4 strong it's like if, in terms of hit points no stepping on it yes <laughs> Yeah. So it's like I said, it's the it's same question, two different interpretations. So if you can come up with some kind of data or like data MacGuffin that depending on, you know, I always joke the engineer and the physicist I versus J, they mean the exact same thing, but they have different labels for it and they will fight forever. Yeah. So it's that kind of thing. Yep. All right, Gordon Moshe, what do you got? Oh, I'm sorry, Zen, but somebody's going to emergency. Somebody's going to jail. Hope doesn't come free. The Ark ship, the Elpis, isn't without its dangers. The characters are going to have to make a choice or influence the decision on what to do. When the Ark ship can't be diverted and is staged to pass too close to asteroid settlements, something has to be done. The wash of its archaic engines will wreck the area for habitability for decades to come. But what or, or who is aboard the ship? It's a classic no-win situation where the characters have to weigh what they know and what they value to determine if the polis will try to evacuate its citizens about to lose their home or destroy the arc ship that holds unknown knowledge of the past, if not people still alive and helpless as well. One way or another... A population is going to lose, and which one loses is going to be something that's entirely down to the role-playing and character behavior that occurs. Yep. I see how it is. You're just jealous of my arc ship. (laughs) Not All right, all right. Well, you know, and there's there's always options. Remember, this is not just, you know, he's laying out 
two possibilities. There's always more than that. That's true. It all depends on how you play it out. Yeah, the characters could die in the process, too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or one could tragically and heroically do it. See? All kinds of fun choices. Mm Mm-hmm. Zen, go. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. The true beauty of Earth's natural landscapes has been lost at this point, as well as the digital backup, it seems, from the Smithsonian. Now, did they actually get lost or did they just become unindexed? That's when you must dive into the digital domain of the Smithsonian to find the answers. What else do you find while in the system? The beauty of a digital environment is something each person finds out for themselves. Now I'm just thinking that's actually kind of poetry there, dude. I I'm just kind of like vibing on that. I love it. Well, I've always thought that it would be kind of because you're battling maybe even the Smithsonian itself. Why did it lose those? Why did it unindex all of these lost VR representations of Earth? Or did they? Or did it? Or did someone? I mean, these are all the kinds of questions that you'll find if you start digging into this. You're in an and... card entry does nothing but alert the librarian shock troopers to your location. (laughs) (laughs) It might. It might. You know, and maybe they have their own, you know, digital presence inside of the, the networks to keep you from finding those things out. So, I mean, and maybe something outside of the galaxy wants them lost. And has figured out how to do it. So there's all kinds of options here, folks. That's the beauty of it. (laughs) All right, Jules, what have you got? Fear is freedom. Subjugation is liberation. Contradiction is truth. Would you be willing to destroy utopia to offer hope? The populace is under some kind of double think and setting them free would cause a full society collapse. And the freedom fighters who have been striving tirelessly alongside you to liberate their people are made aware of the far-reaching consequences. So do you give hope to the clear mem- clear-headed members of society and doom the brainwashed masses to panic and death? Or would you be willing to abandon your drive, goal, and principles and allow a tyrannical government to remain if it means saving billions of people? And would you be comfortable becoming the villain in order to do something heroic? Nice. Because think about it. Everyone is the hero of their own story. What if you're willing to actually play the villain in your well, own yeah, story? The, the villain is the hero of his own story. Mm-hmm. But what so, if you're consciously deciding in my own story, I'm going to be playing the villain because I'm destroyed. Be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. I like it. <laughs> That was that was kind of fun coming up with those, you know, especially if you go through like all the kinds of stuff we like to play and watch and 
kind of think about how they did that. So I, I love that. It was kind of like, oh, cool. I get to, you know, write that series in my own mind. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of what some of this is, is like, you can see that story beats, these could be, you know, any of these could be multiple sessions as they build across all of them. I mean, some of them, you know, the who's truly in power, that could end up being like <laughs> more than just one adventure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because all I mean, you these, could run. Yeah, all of these should build, should come after multiple sessions. And maybe they resolve in one session, maybe a little less, maybe more. But all of these have things that should be kind of laid in place and kind of foreshadowed to get there. So yeah, that's what makes them a bigger beat than just a session, just a, a single challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Because if, if it's, if it's something that can just be overcome in a single combat, then it's not really a story beat. It's just kind of a milestone in the, the climb to that actual beat more than anything because people like to have combats in their games usually <laughs> so yeah and the but... one thing one thing i'm just going to give a little bit of of warning i'm using bunny rabbit ears is when these things happen you know i want it to pay attention take notes if you have to about questions your players start talking about it's like well what if we do X. If like, hey, have we thought about why? Because that might give you some extra information. Because they've set it up now, and the thing is, you can take that, you know, the the feedback that they're they're giving you, and when the next session happens, especially Tie if they're. In. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the other thing is, like with with all like, and it happens a lot of times with these these big story beats. Sometimes they do get analysis paralysis. So bringing up maybe a singular question that they post that everyone was like. You know, hmm, making that hmm face like, yeah, that's good. Bringing that up kind of as to kind of kickstart it. Because when these do happen, you do run into the risk of a full crash stop because of analysis paralysis. Just be warned. Yeah. Yeah. And and if you end up having that be an issue, then, you know, try to try to dial it to a point where you're not giving them so many choices that they can't pick one because the illusion of free will is still a sort of free will indeed and sometimes that's what it takes to make certain points in a game work as well is you know that illusion of free will because you know remember it's a game it still has boundaries and parameters and it will go beyond some of those from time to time so if it goes to a point where it's kind of getting past the point of what the game is capable of doing either stop it or give them fewer choices rather than more choices because most people when presented with a half a dozen choices won't realize that there's only really one or two that really make a difference because they'll be going down all these red herring paths looking for the answer when mm -hmm. that's not 
really an option. Mm -hmm. So, and if you are one that likes to play in those ranges, that's fine. But realize that you may have players that become lost in it. Or and you try not to do that. Or, or who don't move towards conclusion of what you have put in motion. It may yeah. be a situation where what happens around them happens around them. And if they decide that they're not going to move towards or be involved in those kind of beats and plot elements, that's you know their choice if you've had that conversation. But you've right. got to be ready for that. Uh, and that's yeah. how you want to play a game. But we could, as always, go on and on and on. Wax poetic. And <laughs> on. But instead, we are and going on. to... <laughs> right. So instead, we're going to roll into our stat blocks. System-neutral pieces that can be worked into an ongoing game or inspiration for your next big game event. Okay. Well, I'm just going to say I have been playing around with uh, Procreate, which is, for those who don't know, it's a little drawing program that you can get on an iPad. And uh, I did a little headshot of a guy. So there you go. His name's Captain Reed. Pay attention. You might run into him later. And I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> Hooray for art. No notes. Back to doodly do. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, Jules, what do you got? All right. I have Kodakas the Muse. In antiquity, there were nine muses. They inspire great works, and their presence is felt strongly to this very day. As humanity evolved and advanced, their creativity grew. New ways, unimaginable ways of expression began to develop, and the number of muses increased. And it's only been within the past 40 years or so that Kodakas has made her presence known. The youngest of the new muses, Kodakas is frequently invoked by artists and engineers, white hats and bug hunters, makers and indie developers. The muse of code has inspired solutions to memory leaks, whispered asset hacks to save precious space. She's credit with it, credited with inspiring the idea of object-oriented programming, though she has kept mum about it. Kodakasa's whispers are the perfect fusion of art and science. So when code is both functional and elegant, the wise code monkey offers thanks and a cup of coffee to Kodakas. Nice. I like it. I, li I like the new muse. I like the idea of, of the uh, reborn muses. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so Gardemanger. I, I can't wait to hear what you got. And if it's the shock troopers, please. <laughs> Even if it's their base. Warfare evolves. It isn't enough to be tough, smart, and well-equipped anymore. Computers revolutionize the practice of warfare, creating new theaters of conflict and remarkable first-strike capabilities. But then, even information itself was weaponized. It isn't just the fact that the Mass Bibliotheca Militum can hack your ship while preparing a proper shock and awe boarding action. It's the way they can use an idea against you. You already know that the equipment, weapons, and armor they sport with their telltale dashed and dotted motif will be of the highest caliber. 
you already know that there's little you can do if you are being tracked. They're not called the librarian shock troops without a reason. They will know you. This is known. It is the legends that frighten you. The stories that can't be true. There isn't a way to strike madness into a person through a comm signal alone, right? Your past can't be ripped away from the world with a single whispered phrase, right? The idea of your own defeat really is your own, right? <laughs> you monster. Whoa. You monster. I like you it. Milli- oh, you brilliant monster. I love it. That is good. I like them. I like them a lot. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Oh, man, now I've got ideas. <laughs> Which we hope you listening along at home also have after hearing yep. our blocks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean... We're rolling right along, so let's go ahead and flip on into our next section. An uncommon word that helps improve your descriptions, with a bit of information about that word as well. For a slight change of pace, this time I'm taking over your lexicon. So, do you know the word Panglossian? Um... Is that when you widely gloss something? I felt bad because my first brain thing went to a pangolin and I'm like, okay, is that a glossy (laughs) pangolin picture? And then I'm like, I know that's not it. I really got to stop thinking about this stuff when I'm exhausted. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Educate us, Gardemanger. Make us smart. Panglossian means marked by the view that all is for the best in this best of possible worlds. Excessively optimistic. Or in some of the modern parlance, you might think of it as a toxically positive atmosphere. The first known use was 1831, and it is from Candide by Voltaire, as Dr. Pangloss was the name of the main character's tutor, who was excessively optimistic, even in the face of, of... Every possible thing that could go wrong. If you have not read Candide, I recommend it. And so Panglossian came to refer to his everything is the best that it could be in this best of all possible worlds. And the name itself is believed to come from the Greek Panglossia, garrulousness, wordiness, um, a certain amount of of perhaps snarky glibness. And uh, that is your new word for today. Nice. Cool. So the thing is, like, if you run across somebody that's just singing, everything is awesome, run like hell. Yes. <laughs> you, you should. You really, you really should. Well, folks, let's go ahead and uh, hit our closing remarks. Because we're just chugging right along. Toot toot. <laughs> Jules, go. All right. Um, I came up, believe it or not, with a, a really just crazy over-the-top anime called Kill a Kill. Uh, and yes. here's the thing that's that's 
absolutely bananas. It's like you watch it. It's crazy. Uh, it, it, it's sentient clothing and epic fights with these massive scissors. And it, it's absolutely crazy. And it's it's goofy and fun. And it, the, the thing is, though, the first time you watch it, it's just like, oh, my gosh, spectacle. Oh, yeah, I got stabbed in the face. Oh, yeah, you know, they ripped her heart out kind of a thing. And it's great. But then you start watching and I watch it a second time because I what else are you going to do when you're sick? And I'm like, wait a minute, that's a re- that that's a reference to Oda Nobunaga. The enemy is in Honoji. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's 1984. And I started like picking up thousands like it was just like, holy crap, downloaded into my brain. All these really interesting references that they throw in there. And it comes through either in subbed or dubbed. So. You know, which is kind of okay. weird because I ch- I checked that out because some of my friends are dyslexic and have issues with subtitles, so I'm fine with that. But I'm like, wait, what the heck? And you start, you know, there there there's Nietzsche, there, there's references to Nietzsche in there. There's all, and I'm like, holy crap! So it for me, it was really kind of kind of neat uh, to find it's just like this crazy shonen. Super cheesecakey, you know, a lot of fan service anime has so many interesting philosophical, literary, and historical references. And when you start kind of thinking about it and how they fit in, you're like, oh my God, these guys were brilliant. So that's fine. That's cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Gordon Manger, what are we doing? What are we doing? Okay. I am going to dig deep into the vault for a 26-year-old movie. And I'm going to recommend Outbreak. It's an over two-hour movie starring Dustin Hoffman, Rene Russo, and Morgan Freeman, where there's a sudden and virulent disease outbreak when a smuggled monkey escapes customs. Even better, it's loosely based on real-world events that are recounted in the book The Hot Zone which is the first book I read about viral hemorrhagic fevers and pandemic-level disasters. So there is that. I haven't well, seen that in I forever. recommend it. It's, <laughs> and it's, Phil, it, it's Dustin Hoffman. I like Dustin Hoffman. Well, yeah. The book The Hot Zone is honestly part of why people were terrified of Ebola in the 90s. And it, it's... I firmly believe that some of the responses we've seen to a potential viral pandemic in the last year well, potential actual viral pandemic in the last year are from the hot zone not having been read by enough people in the previous 10 years. That I would believe. I, I remember Over- I remember reading it. I remember reading. I liked I loved that book. I thought it was I I thought it was fascinating. And I was and for me, I was thinking about it's like, all right, because I was studying World War One at the time, I'm like, ooh, the flu pandemic. And I'm reading that and I'm like, ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Garmaja, thank you for reminding of it. Indeed. <laughs> All right, Zen. Close. <laughs> so, so you're not the only one digging far back. <laughs> the X-Files. <laughs> no, most people have probably seen it, or at least enough of it to, to know what it's about. Um, so I just started rewatching it, you know, because... I haven't I, I'm I'm drawing up ideas for a certain set of uh games. And so I was like, you know, maybe the X Files would work for this. 
So I started rewatching it. And, you know, it has tons of fun moments in it. But it also has those moments of WTF, mate. Um, <laughs> but it's still so enjoyable. Um, you should, it's on Hulu right now. And if you have the chance, just sit down and watch it. I mean, I know it's like 13, 12 or 13 seasons. And it's, but it's worth it. You should really check it out because it's and, fun. And the interesting thing is, it, this is going to sound silly and goofy, but there is a lot of ideas for tangential learning in there. Mm-hmm. Like they'll, they'll make a, and I'm like, I don't know what that is. And I remember then just going, it's like, okay, what the heck is this? And doing some research. I'm like, oh, what? Hey, you know. Yeah. And now you have Wikipedia. Wikipedia didn't exist when this come, came out. So you, you had to actually go to the library and look stuff up. I mean, uh-huh. it was the early 90s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the internet didn't really, I mean, it existed, but not really existed. So, yeah. Well, other conversation for a different podcast about the nature of the internet in right? 1995. Let us discuss it. Uh, not now. Not now. Maybe later. Maybe some other time. But, yes. Uh, so, guys. Uh, next time we will be talking about the culminations of what things lurk in the end of your campaign. In the meantime, roll some dice. Have some fun. Play some games. And find the social medias! Like, share, review, all of the stuff that you know we'll ask you to do. We're easy to find, but still. Yep. Next time, here on Seize the GM. Have a good one. Thanks for checking in. It was a blast sharing our thoughts and ideas on our time. We hope that you had a great time with us and could hardly wait to share the next show. In the meantime... Let us know how you handle this topic in your own games. You can find us on most social media platforms, especially Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to follow us, search for Seize the GM. And if you just want to follow one of us, search for our names on the social media platform of your choice, or go to SeizeTheGM.com for convenient links. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share-alike 4.0 international license. All copyrighted material referenced herein are held by the respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is Once again, thanks to you, our listeners. We hope you gained some ideas for your ongoing games. Or the inspiration to run your first. Now get out there and play some games. Roll some dice. Be safe. And you'll hear from us again soon.